0: Hi, I'm Michael Wiafek.
1: And I'm Demetria Wack.
0: Welcome to Policy Wise, a podcast from Youth Leadership Institute in collaboration with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council, where we challenge assumptions, discuss, and question policy to find out, is this policy wise?
1: Each episode, we invite current and rising policy leaders to discuss current events, social issues, and political topics in order to promote, youth voice, and establish a model of intergenerational policy discussions. A lot is on the line as we approach the 2020 United States election. On Tuesday, November 3rd, all 435 seats of the U.S. House of Representatives and 35 of the 100 seats of the U.S. Senate will be contested, as well as, of course, the Office of the President of the United States.
0: In California specifically, voters will also elect all of the state assembly, as well as all odd-numbered districts of the state Senate. This episode, will be discussing equity in the context of Proposition 16, which aims to repeal affirmative action restrictions in California. Today, we have two incredible guests joining us, Assemblymember Dr. Shirley Weber, who actually wrote Prop 16 or ACA 5 when it was in the legislature, and Isaac Alferos, who is a student leader advocating in the midst of it. So Assemblymember Dr. Shirley Weber was elected in November of 2012 to represent California's 79th Assembly District, which includes cities of Bonita, Chula Vista, La Mesa, Lemon Grove, National City, and San Diego. Dr. Shirley Weber has lived in California since the age of three and attended UCLA for her bachelor's, master's, and PhD programs. Dr. Weber chairs the Assembly Budget Subcommittee on Public Safety and serves as a member of the Assembly Standing Committees on Education, Higher Education, Elections, Budget, and Banking and Finance. Prior to being elected to the assembly, she served as the mayor's appointee and chair on the Citizens' Equal Opportunity Commission, on the board of the NAACP, YWCA, YMCA Scholarship Committee, Battered Women's Services, United Way, San Diego Consortium, and Private Industry Council, and many more. As a school board member and board president, she became known for advocacy for closing the achievement gap gap, and a higher standard of excellence for all children. Today, we're excited to discuss assembly work relating to Prop 16 and AB 1460. Dr. Weber, thank you so much for being here. Would you like to expand or add to any of your introduction? Would you be able to tell us about why equity in higher education is so important?
2: Well, the only thing I would add, of course, is that to my resume is that I spent uh, 40 years of my life as a professor at San Diego State University. And, uh, chaired the, and was the founder of the Africana Studies Department and helped to establish Chicano Studies, Native American Studies, and Women's Studies, and served as a, as a, as a, a, a kind of a, a joint faculty on many of those other departments. So I'm steeped into the whole issue of education. Oh It's extremely important, uh, and the issue of having our educational system represent the face of California, to me, is very, very important.
1: Please help me in welcoming Assemblymember Shirley Weber,
2: Because that strengthens California, and I know the power of education in young people's lives because it changed my life. Good morning, and I admire the fact that you still have a lot of energy in this cold in Sacramento. Ain't nothing, I know. It ain't nothing when you're fighting for your cause. And I'm not from a family of folks with a lot of education. You know, I stand with you not just because I'm a legislator, but I came to this assembly because of being a professor at San Diego State for 40 years. Uh, neither of my parents had high school diplomas. Uh, my father was semi-literate, and he only went as far as the sixth grade. There was no way that I could have gotten that, given the fact that I'm the daughter of sharecroppers. Parents who had a, my father's sixth grade, my mother ninth grade education. I lived in the Pueblos of Los Angeles in the projects, and eventually on 45th and Broadway. We could not have afforded for me to go to UCLA, but because we didn't have tuition, we only had fees, we were able to, I was able to afford to go to the University of California, UCLA for three degrees in a nine year period and only owe $1,250. And so I understand the, the power of education in a person's life uh, and a and power of education not only in their life, but the life of their family and generations to come. So I have a real, real strong commitment to make sure that everyone has access to it. We need to do the work of the people to make sure that things that we believe in, particularly the institutions of higher education, are supported. It is important to understand that California historically has always invested in education. The founding of its institutions was founded on the premise that California needed to educate those who could not afford to go to Stanford.
1: Isaac is a junior at CSU Fullerton studying business administration with a concentration in finance. At CSU Fullerton, Isaac is a proud brother of the Male Success Initiative Fullerton, a program designed to support undergraduate men of color achieve the fullness of their potential. Additionally, he is a research assistant and project lead at the Center for Research on Educational Access and Leadership. Isaac is a former lobby corps coordinator at the Associated Students, where he assisted in campus-wide civic engagement efforts, including voter registration, census engagement, and voter education. He served with the California State Student Association, engaging with both legislative and system-wide policies that impact CSU students and working to ensure that the student voice and the perspective is present voice in policy making. Isaac, would you like to add anything else to your introduction? And can you tell us um, from a young person's perspective, the student and the student perspective, the importance of equity in higher
3: education? I come from a very Um, interesting, I would say, educational background. I have a mother who has a master's degree and I have a dad and a father who has no degree. And so that put me at an interesting understanding and appreciation for the impact that education can have on someone's success, not just in their career, but also in their holistic understanding of the world around them. Um, But from a student perspective, equity um, and education, that is about making home Making home for your students and being able to utilize this experience where students are moving into higher education, and we're naturally in an environment where we're challenging ourselves to look a little bit deeper into things, think a little bit more critically. Um, it's hard to do that if we're not putting equity in our practices and in our coursework and in the environment. If we're not challenging ourselves to to see behind, I guess, the veil of just how we present not just our history, but how we present um, our culture. So I think that that is really, really important. And as a student, it's very apparent um, in everything from the coursework you take to walking around campuses.
0: That's a very good point, Isaac. Um, and, and what I'm hearing from both of you, Dr. Weber and Isaac, is that your, your background and experiences have definitely influenced uh, where you are today, what you're doing today. Your experience kind of influences what you're doing, the way that you see the world. So, Dr. Weber, what is Prop 16 and what is the historical background of this proposition? Can you tell us about the way that you've experienced um, possibly the, the incoming and decay of affirmative action in California and why it's really important to bring it back?
2: Yeah, Prop 16 is so very important, not only for the moment, but for the future of California and for young people and for uh, everyone really in, in, in California. You know, 24 years ago, um, uh, we had a governor who had a mission and that, that was he wanted to become president and he wanted to become president by dividing California and making us fight each other. And so he introduced a lot of un- unfortunate legislation against a bilingual education, about giving healthcare to kids who were so-called, quote, undocumented. I mean, a really ugly, ugly period. And one of those pieces was that he took away uh, affirmative action out of the University of California and the Board of Regents and he used an African American man to do that and so what happened was the UC Regents decided that they were going to eliminate affirmative action and then they created this Proposition 209 that that masqueraded as California's Civil Rights Initiative and what it did was it basically attacked affirmative action and affirmative action was an effort on the part by President Johnson to say, listen, the world is, is unequal. We know that we believe in equality and justice for all, but we can't get there if, if, if people are starting in different places in their life. And we need to try to level the playing field. So that And Johnson used an, an analogy that if I've tied your legs up and your hands behind you for Years and then all of a sudden, I put you on the track and say, "Okay, now you can run you're going to run at a different pace, and you're going to be handicapped as a result of what we've done, so we then at that point need to try to level the field, do some things to acknowledge the inequalities that we have, and then allow people to adjust and to run fairly and that and so that was that was the premise of affirmative action. Uh, it, and so over the years, uh, we've seen programs that were specifically designed to address the inequalities that were there and then allow folks to be able to compete. And students who were admitted to universities on, those pre- on some of those premises, had to take their tests, still had to qualify to be admissions, but there may have been support services for them in high school or support services after they got into college to level the field, knowing that they came from experience that had little contact, as I did, with the university world itself and learning those things about the university that makes it equal. So 24 years ago, we put this on the ballot, we didn't, it was put on the ballot and it passed by at 54% of the vote, it passed. And as a result of that, California could no longer consider race and gender as variables for admission in in the areas of education, employment, and contracts. And what we saw immediately was a tremendous drop and decline uh, in in every area. We saw med schools and law schools that had maybe 10, 15 uh, people of color in their med schools and law schools dropped to one or zero. We saw the um, contracting, and when I was a chair of the Equal Opportunity Commission some years after affirmative action, we saw contracting in the mid 90s for women and minorities go from 40% in San Diego down to one and a half percent. We saw the same thing in Los Angeles, where Los Angeles now has 2% women, 2% Two percent Latinos and a half, less than a half a percent for African Americans. And so we saw once again the mm-hmm. advantage going to those who've always had the advantage. And California then still has this huge wealth gap, this gender gap in terms of contracts and employment. And we've seen the decline in populations where people have chosen to not come to California or have not stay in California because it's difficult. We saw students who decided they didn't want to go to med school because they didn't want to be the only black person in med school, so they went elsewhere. And so we've lost. A lot of our brain drain that's occurred in California as a result of it, and so we realize that this is an inequality, and we see it in the streets of young people protesting. But this bill came into existence before that because we've been recognizing this every year. So this bill would then what would not take away the whole concept of equal opportunity because discrimination cannot exist in California because of its country because of its constitution and the constitution of the United States. Neither one allow any level of discrimination. That also there's no in it. But what it does do, it allows cities and counties to be able to basically develop programs that will help women, programs in STEM for women in math and science. We can't do that because well, that's a race and a gender-based program. Yet we know we have a problem in getting women into the field of math and science. So when we develop a program, we have to develop for everyone. And therefore women don't take advantage of it or not a part of it. Same was true with all the programs we did in San Diego to deal with African-American males who were failing in, 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 in high school. We developed mentor programs. We had to eliminate all of those programs in San Diego. And we saw what we only had 30. 30- African-American males would be a better average. They went up to five or 600. We're back now to where we were before. And so what happens is that it takes away our ability to level the playing field. And that's one of the reasons why people like the Chamber of Commerce, up and down the state, as well as the statewide chamber, the University of California regents are in support of this. Mm-hmm. So the trustees at CSU, so the boards at the community colleges in favor of it. Most of our school districts up and down the state are in favor of it. Uh, the governor, and when you look at all the entities, that are, are lined up for this because everyone is saying 20, Prop 209 for 24 years has failed us as a state, has not given us the opportunity to create a level playing field, has not done equity, has not helped us in in building our strength and diversity of Californians. And as a result, we need the ability to, if we choose to, and it's, it's permissive, it's not required. If we choose to develop programs to level the playing field, we can do that without being sued. And so Prop 16 is extremely important for this generation and for the generations to come.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Weber. Uh, Isaac, as a young Californian and student leader, how do you think the passing of Prop 16 will change the landscape of education in California? And more so, how do you think it will impact the future of California as a whole?
3: I think as a student, it will have dramatic impacts on not just getting into and, and, and having access to The jobs and the roles we perform in but also changing the cultures of the roles that we go into and we move into post-graduation. I mean one of the conversations that we have often or I have often with other student leaders on campus is we're talking about um, if we're trying to increase the diversity of people moving into these roles and people having these opportunities what one of the issues we always face is changing the cultural environment because of a lack of diversity for years and years that's there and I think that pop 16 helps push us in that direction by not only giving greater access and an equitable access to communities of color who never have had that before, who haven't had it at the same rate, um, but it also helps push us forward into changing the cultural environment so that way we can create a space that is more affirming and supportive for communities of color ongoing. And help that I think will naturally help break down parts of implicit bias um, that essentially go further to also bar communities of color from having access.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, Isaac, and uh, I, I think one of the points that's that's often overlooked um, about Prop 16 is that it's also about employment. Um, and when you're thinking about college campuses, it's not because I think the conversation is a lot of times around admissions and people are talking about admissions to universities. Well, let's talk about um, diversity of faculty and, and staff on campus um, and and how, you know, you can go through an entire degree and not have a single professor of color and how that goes into faculty hiring and making sure that there's, there's equity in those decisions as well. But this isn't a, a piece. Of legislation that comes without criticism and comes, um, you know, w- uh, without opponents. So, um, Dr. Weber and, and then Isaac, um, what what do you see in opposition? What are the questions that they're asking? What what are the the, the common talking points in your opposition? And what do you say to those talking points? Uh, and and so, what are you seeing around this realm, uh, Dr. Weber, in the legislature and constituents, and Isaac for students and young people?
2: Well, you know, the number one thing that we hear oftentimes is that we're promoting discrimination that this is going to cause people to discriminate and people are going to not have their 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 protective cause the rights and we know that there's a protection in in both constitutions, California and the and the, sta- and the and the federal constitution, that protects people against discrimination, and so it's not about discrimination. And we also know that in the selection process of, of anything we do, it's not always one variable; it's multiple variables. And the question is, are, are these variables essential to get the best product, the best person you want? Uh, and we realize that some of these some of these issues are created simply for the purpose of excitement. Uh, when we talk, some will say, "Well, you know, we're going to get unqualified." people into positions. Yet what we have seen is those who believe they're the most qualified individuals have not necessarily, quote, benefited from uh, Prop 209. In fact, they've actually lost positions. Uh, they used our Asian community against other communities. And the Asians now realize that they've lost positions in terms of uh, not getting seeing an increase in enrollment, uh, those kinds of things that they thought would come, uh, have not come. And as a result, they are concerned. Uh, additionally, when they look at um, not just admissions, but when they Begin to look at employment and opportunities, that despite the number of, of Asians that are in engineering and math and, law, and, and, and the legal field, we have no deans of law schools. We have no med school deans. We have, uh, you know, you go down the list, you don't have the chairs of engineering, despite the number of students in engineering. And so there's been a discrimination against them without them actually recognizing the fact that folks have made these choices based on that. So clearly we hear, we constantly hear the discussion of discrimination that we're going to discriminate and people are going to lose out and there's going to be, that's going to happen. And that has not been the case. We have the question of quotas and everybody knows quotas are legal. We've never had quotas. And as a result, there's not a, a statement that you have to hire X number of people so forth and so on. So that's incorrect. Anytime people, you have an affirmative action program, it is permissive. The When we take this um, Prop 16 passes, it is not a mandate that every city and county has to have an affirmative action program. They can choose to have one or not. Some may not even need one, but those who feel like they're not really meeting the needs of their citizens for whatever reason, have an opportunity to basically or uh, put together uh, the rationale and, and actually have an affirmative action program that's there. So we hear that a lot from the opposition, that this, is, that this is going to divide us. And anytime you start talking about creating equal opportunity for people, people talk about division as if the division is not already there. When you see the marches in the streets and you see the protests, it is clear that there is a tremendous division of the haves and have nots. There's a tremendous division in communities, And this is a way in which we heal the division rather than accentuate it and make it worse. So you hear a lot of noise out in the streets about all the horrors of of this. And yet the reality is under affirmative action, we have the ability to try to solve the problems that we've had for many years and the discrimination that's there and to begin to address it and not just simply ignore it. And um, so those are the main things that people talk about when they talk about Proposition 16. Uh, they, They see it as something that is going to create discrimination. And yet when we had affirmative action, we did not see that happening. We saw an increase in opportunities. We saw an increase in women doing contracts. We saw a greater sense of equity and fairness and how we approached our issues and our problems. And we had a greater sense of unity that people Mm -hmm. believe that they had an opportunity in California to be successful.
3: Um, You know, these past couple of weeks have been doing all these voter initiatives and, and doing events with students and telling them you may not see. I said, I look at the ballot right now. I get excited with what is on my ballot. With the levels of conversations we are now actually able to have, and that's from a result of consistent work um, by amazing people like Dr. Weber. That's on behalf of folks who are in the streets mobilizing that we're looking at, I think, a list of propositions that put equity front and center. And so for students to say, well, I don't know if I really care. I don't know if I can turn out to vote. I don't know what else you're asking for. Putting it right in front of you, it's exciting. And I think that we have to recognize that there's a lot of rhetoric that historically has been used to paint this as a specifically for one community and hurts other communities. There's a lot of rhetoric that historically has been used of how this will take away from you, as is gonna harm you. All we're trying to do is provide more opportunities to communities that historically haven't had it. Um, and I think that this really underscores how much we have to challenge our own privileges and recognize um, that someone else having equal access or closer to equal access, doesn't take away my access as an individual. Um, But it does challenge that fragility.
2: Yeah, I was just simply going to say that, you know, uh, when we talk about and that's and that's one of the also one of the issues that 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 once again gets to the race issue that they always think this is a black thing and no one else is going to benefit from it. And so it becomes a black versus an Asian thing. And uh, and and you know the the smart versus the not so smart and the, you know, those kinds of things that are there. But interestingly enough, and we've tried to do this is to emphasize that the probably the largest population that will benefit from this initiative are women. Women have been hurt the most economically in this situation, you know, because women businesses women women businesses have, and so that's why the California Business Women uh, Owners Association is in support of this because they have seen dramatic decline in their businesses and not being able to get contracts with government and school districts and those kinds of things has a negative effect on their ability to stabilize their business. And so when you look at the numbers, and I used to go around and tell women, you know, when I was chair of COC, you women ought to be outraged. You ought to be outraged. You're over 50 some percent of the population, yet you are 1% of the contracts in the city of San Diego. You used to be 20 and 30% you know, wake up, realize what's going on. And, uh, and they would, sometimes they'd be very upset and then we'd be hampered because when we try to do programs to encourage women to apply, or we put something together that's a, that's a fair that would bring in women to look at the contracts and learn the process, that would not attract women. We could not appeal to women, we could not go out and recruit women to apply for contracts. But they are the biggest, they were the biggest losers in, in, in this whole thing and they will benefit the most. If Proposition 6, when Proposition 16 passes, women in the state, all women will benefit immensely. We're leaving about $1.1 billion every year on the table from not being able to do business with women in California.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Weber. Um, with, the, with the last little bit of time that we have with you, is there any specific message or in specific call to action you have right now um, to young voters and other policy uh, professionals and other people working and in, in fighting for these causes right now?
2: You know, I think it's extremely important that um, for all of us, this, you know, affirmative action is, is not quote for me and my generation because, you know, we've done our thing, we've done what we're supposed to do, and many of us have benefited from affirmative action. And that's why you find so many people in the legislature uh, who were who were adults or even college 24 years ago uh, are, are adamant about trying to change this because they know that had it not been for affirmative action and various outreach programs that they would not have been reached no one would have reached out to them and helped them and I know if I had I didn't get in school on affirmative action because it came in a year after I was there but I know that my doctoral program my PhD my master's degree program was greatly enhanced by the gap program I had to qualify to get in grad school I had to qualify to do these things and I had to take the test and write the dissertation and a whole bit but I also knew that there was a faculty mentor for me, there was somebody who helped me, there was a coalition or a gathering of, of of graduate students of color so that you didn't feel so lost on this huge campus of 30,000 students at UCLA you knew that there was someone to help you navigate this, this world and to help you as a, as a student and even as a professional when you got out and so it is important that this, that this generation understands that This is not an equal world. We would love for it to be equal. And in fact, if you read all the editorials, that's why your LA Times, your Union Tribune, your San Francisco Chronicle, you look at these papers and what they're saying is that we know this is an unequal world and we can see it in the streets. We can feel it amongst ourselves. We see it in the data it will not improve. It will not improve on its own. Simply making statements about we live in a fair world and I don't want to be judged by the color of my skin, by the content of my character, and not realize that that was a dream speech that King had, but not his reality. That we will not ever achieve that dream. We will not get there without addressing the reality of inequality and, and developing things that help to level the playing field so that every child in California, every adult in California, believes that they can actually achieve because we have figured out how to create some sense of equity and equality for everyone, and so this is important because this it took us 24 years to fight this battle, 24 years of of trying to get people to vote for it. It was a high bar. We had to have two thirds of members of the assembly and the senate to vote for this bill, and so it was a struggle on my part to get this bill out. And we got 75% because people began to realize the inequality and that your generation, young people, need to decide Your generation needs to decide if this is how we want to live, how we want to live like 41 other states who have equal opportunity and access because they have affirmative action programs, or do we want to continue to bump our heads against the wall with inequality and an unequal system and find ourselves with our wealth gap, with poverty growing in the state of California, as rich as we are, tremendous gap of opportunities for so many. So this is our moment. It's taken us 24 years to get here. Let us not squander it by indifference and by confusion. Let us realize that we must vote for Proposition 16 because it will truly level the playing field. And many of your professionals now, women and men of color who actually look and see the situation and realize that they are who they are because someone basically went into their community, helped to develop a program that brought them out and helped them to understand and realize their potential And supported them. Didn't give them away, but supported them and their struggles to achieve the things that they want to achieve in life, whether it was businesses, whether it was a job, or whether it was education. All of those things are critically important, and Prop 16 puts us on the path to hopefully to achieve equality for everyone in California. This is our moment, and let us not squander it.
0: Absolutely. And, and with those words, Dr. Weber, you have ignited a fire, I think, in in, in a lot of us, so probably all of us on the call. Uh, we do want to respect your time and know that, you know, we've kind of come up on your availability. Um, so thank you for joining us. I, I know not, there's never enough time for us to have a conversation. Hopefully we'll, uh, well have a chance to speak I hope
2: we have a, a tremendous celebration on November 4th. Mm-hmm. And thank you Absolutely. all. Thank you, young folks, for believing and working so hard. We are all working till the very drop of November 3rd, because it's just that important, and uh, and I am honored to be here with you, and uh, thank you so very much for all of your work. I appreciate it. Thank and you. Thank you. So See you again soon.
1: Thank you. That was, like, everything that you want to hear. <laughs> as, <laughs> as someone who's, like, going to be in California for the next, I don't know how long, who's, like, just looking at the world and seeing, I don't know, someone just paint the, the problem so clearly. Um, it's just really inspiring and it's such an interesting converse, like, conversation to discuss like what the world could look like and, and talk about equality, um, especially in terms of education and to, to think of the way that that would actually be achieved. It's about getting people in positions so that they can actually repre- like have the representation that is needed so that laws and policies in every other like any other any other sector, not just education, reflect like a more representative California. Because right now, the policies that are in place don't reflect the population, and they don't reflect what what it could be. And um, it's it's amazing to me that we have someone in a position fighting for this who realizes this. And I'm just so happy and grateful. Isaac, can you tell us how exactly you got involved? in advocacy and specifically advocacy um, on these propositions and uh, yeah what, what inspired you what was your aha moment?
3: I think like my what started me into advocacy was joining student government while um, as a student at Cal State Fullerton um, and I served as a lobby coordinator so I naturally had to Um, be well aware of what's happening in a political landscape and working with folks. But what really got me into advocacy on like issues of not just this proposition, but issues and advocacy in equity um, was working with student activists that I worked with at the time. um, And in the different affinity spaces that I was in, what I saw um, was when issues are discussed in student government that's natural that's part of the work that's part of what we do when issues are discussed outside of student government and they're happening in these specific affinity spaces now it's hitting home right so now now we're we're talking about um outside of looking at this from an objective lens we're looking at this from a subjective how is this impacting x community my community that i work with um i came to in advocacy for prop 16 um god probably as soon as it was put on the ballot um, because I am just a big fan of the work that Assemblymember and Dr. Shirley Weber does, so I'm a big fan of all of her work. And so um, I was actually, I think, contacted by the Committee for Yes on Prop 16 and to help support in any way we can. And so it's that paired with some of the advocacy work that we do um, at the Black Brown Healing Project. Um, specifically, we've been doing a whole campaign since August all the way to November, encouraging folks to look at voting from a new perspective and from the perspective of communities of color and look at civic engagement broadly, which naturally means we're going to talk about some of the issues that are going to be on the ballot. But it also means that we're going to try and challenge as, as much as we can try and challenge people to look from a new lens and to consider new perspectives on everything from what is on the ballot to whether or not you have access to the ballot.
0: Everyone has a role to play
3: mm-hmm.
0: in in the change that they want to that they want to make. And I think that that's, that's always a difficult concept to think about. Um, Because oftentimes I'm sitting here and I'm like, dang, I can't wait till I'm a legislator and like I can address this issue directly. So, (laughs) you know, there are times where I feel like my role, um, my role is to, to keep trying to do what I can to get to the point of which in the future I'm able to make that change. But then that's forgetting the fact that I'm able to make that change today and be able to start making steps right now. And I think that some of that um, comes into, you know, the, the political efficacy of young people and, and people of color. Of, you, you know, do, do you believe that you have the ability and the power to make change right now? Um, I think that the answer for most young people and especially young people of color is probably not. No. Um, I feel like I have no ability to change the world around me. I feel like I don't have the, you know, the power, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in, in conversations like the ones that we had today, um, in conversations that you have with your friends, that's where it all begins. It's just conversations with your friends and, and realizing how um, how much uh, maybe your demographic or how much uh, where you grew up had an influence on who you are today um, and, and how the backgrounds that, that you grew up with and that informs you will, will sort of lead your path moving forward and how there's power in that too and that everyone kind of has uh, their voice in some sort of way. You have your ability to make change. It's kind of up to you whether you're going to get comfortable with the uncomfortable and start start using it.
3: Progress is made one step outside of your comfort zone. doesn't have to be a mile outside of your comfort zone. It has to be one step outside of your comfort zone. But that step is a hard step to take. And so one of the things I think about is um, I'm very much inspired by the legacy of Um, former congresswoman Shirley Chisholm. And she has this beautiful quote that I love. And in her honesty says, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And I love it. And I think that there's a lot of, especially right now, there's this general feeling I think that can exist um, with just young folks who want to make change and feeling like I don't have a seat at the table. I, as an adaptation of that, I'm a strong believer. if, If they're not giving you a seat at the table, if no one's giving you the job you want, make the job yourself. So, for example, the project that I run, the Black Brown Healing Project, honest to God, started off with six of my closest friends in, like, I want to say May, calling up and going, hey, do you want to do something? I'm kind of really tired of not doing anything, just generally for our community. Mm -hmm. And from that level of commitment, and honestly, from that level of genuine love for our community, we recognized as we kept going, oh wait, we can do this. And oh wait, we can do this. Right now we're leading a campaign across the state of California, full grassroots campaign. Um, So far our estimated outreach is over 175,000 people with our 10 volunteers, folks ranging in age. We have folks who can't even, multiple folks who can't even vote who are showing up and helping organize this campaign on our social media side, on our event side. And that's all because we just love our community I went on Instagram and said, hey, is anyone want, would want to volunteer for something like this? And we got 10 people said, hey, I would love to. They're coming, they're bringing their time, they're bringing their energy. I'm so incredibly thankful for them because Lord knows I could not do this on my own. I don't have the skill set. But we're able to do something that I think if you had asked me a year ago, I would have never thought I could do. But I took one step outside of my comfort zone. If you want to see change, if you want to see it, then do it. There is no seat, I'm a firm believer, there is no seat at any table that someone can give you that will now make all of this inherently easy. But there's also no seat at the table that you have to have, otherwise you can't make change. If you want to make the change for your community, organize in your community. Because at the end of the day, I tell people like the the Black Brown Healing Project, after we work with people and like, what is it? And like, honest to God, it's me and a couple of homies just putting some stuff together to try and help our community. That's really all it is
1: to hear someone so uh, young and passionate about this and I'm really really grateful for your activism uh, and for you not being complacent and thank you for taking the time to even to be on policy wise and yeah thank you so much
3: thank you all for having
0: me it's it's been incredible Um, incredible past conversation both Dr. Weber and and you being on the episode Um, it's an honor to know you (laughs) <laughs> I know this isn't like a good bye speech or anything but, but again just just thank you for coming on to the show I'm looking forward to the, the next time we get to chat um, and you know I guess we can end it there Okay. but I was going to say and you know um, <laughs> that there there could be I mean we, we we don't know exactly the direction which this is all going but I feel like and Demi Jarrett, let me know if I'm wrong I feel like Isaac can come back
2: Come
1: back. <laughs> I would love to. Isaac, yeah. oh my gosh, dude, <laughs> let's go. Policy Wise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Ford and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Jared Amonos produced this episode, and the music was created by Ian Post and sourced from artistlist.io.
0: If you want to find more great youth content, check out yli.org. And be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. It really helps.
1: To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod, and hashtag your discussion with hashtag PolicyWise.
0: See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion on PolicyWise.